Oh, and welcome to Mind Matters podcast presented by A Light for Change, where we talk about the who, what, where, and why, as well as the how we as a community can make positive changes. The when is up to all of us, and it starts with you. Before I start, let's get into a positive zone, and I'll share my thoughts on a question from Graduate Thrivers Pass Cards. <clears throat> the card drawn is the color yellow for forethought, and the question is, what can you do to help someone? There are so many ways to help someone, but I think the best way to help someone is to ask them what they need right now. We can help by listening and not just sitting there while they talk, but to actually hear what they say. While you're listening, you will probably hear how you can help next, but if not, you can always ask them. Do you want my opinion? Do you want to hear a story from my life that relates? Letting them know that they're not alone or the only one. You can help people by just being attentive and realizing when a gentle, kind word can help turn off their distress alarms. Your time can be more valuable help than anything else. And though it is precious a commodity of moderate value to the system, it is free for us to give to those we feel deserve it. You can help others by sharing your creative ideas. And I don't mean your projects, but to help them find alternative ways to make things work for them. You can help by being a clear communicator of your perspective while understanding others have their own perspectives as well. You can help by giving what you have in excess to those who do not and by supporting causes that help many. You can help by exemplifying mindful compassion. You can help others by being patient. You can help others by sharing your collateral resources and lending your talents. You can help by tenderly guiding and being considerately nurturing of the young generations. It takes a community to raise a child that values all. You can help by standing for what's right instead of what is easy. And you can also help by encouraging the masses to let the good guy finish anywhere but last. You can praise good deeds instead of punishing them. Or you can help by being someone's voice when they are afraid. But only if that's what they want. Most importantly, you can help anyone by showing you are willing to be there when times comes for your need. The one thing I have learned is you can't just fix someone's problems. You need to guide them to learn how to fix things themselves. I don't agree with tough love, but find communicated lessons work better based on a number of folks I helped by just pointing the way who have reached their goals and the number who I've helped by setting them up with a silver spoon who complacently lost track of their goals. This is Season 1, Mental Health, Episode 8, Generational Trauma. What is generational trauma besides the latest catchphrase? Well, it's defined as the physiological and psychological effects that the trauma experienced by a person has on subsequent generations in that group according to Wikipedia. Nevertheless, to give it more depth, 
Transgenerational trauma is the perspectives, survival mechanisms, and socially accepted protocols that were passed along through parenting and social conditioning despite relevant need or cause. It could be a family opinion on a different culture based on historical events. It could be grooming your child to be perfect and fit in because you were teased as a child. And it could be the persistent fight between a parent and a child who don't see eye to eye. There are infinite possibilities for how the traumas lived by one person ripples to another and even more possibilities when you consider a trauma experienced by a culture or peoples. Those of you who want to make a change for the better, I share this with you so you can make your society better by understanding the layers of molding each of us goes through so you can increase your empathy and be a more compassionate person, creating a ripple effect of people doing the same thing and one day making compassion the new normal. The reason I created this episode is because so much of the turbulent relationships we experience day to day are because we see others under our circumstances when their lives were so much different than ours. I find it unfortunate that people today use this very powerful understanding and misuse it by placing greater focus on blaming the past generations for instilling them with trauma from the get-go, causing them to be all messed up today. It's human nature to want to ensure your offspring has the greatest opportunity for survival in the world that seems to function under the rule of survival at the fittest. They were just trying to give us better than they had. Their ways were coming from a place of love. It's human nature to fear things that relate to past experiences that shattered your life, becoming overprotective of self and others from ever experiencing the same. It is also human nature to idolize something or a way that presents as successful or grand in comparison to yourself, pushing it upon those they care for in hopes of setting them up for having the same that was considered better than they had. If the reason we pass trauma on to another is out of love and hopes for better, it shouldn't be blamed as a negative. However, passing along trauma intentionally or inadvertently has been proven to create a ripple effect of traumas. What we should do as a society is take this understanding and look deeper into human nature and the impacts of our actions. Today, most of our understanding into generational trauma is that of blanketed impacts of cultural atrocities and societal conditioning, but if we consider it more as the impacts of an older generation interacting with another, not only can we see the multidimensional perspective of the ripples, but also learn how to interact more effectively between generations. With every moment that passes, things change. The whole inevitably learns from that moment and adapts to, an, to that new knowledge. There are a few sayings I utter often. The first, I'm not sure if it's uniquely mine or one I heard somewhere, but I couldn't find a reference to it. Being in a world at complete peace, there would be no need for compassion or understanding. 
growing complacent, allowing greed <clears throat> to inevitably set in. Dark always exists in the shadows of light. <clears throat> the next is from Charles Darwin. It is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. Each generation that succeeds the last is innately driven to adapt into the new ideas that to them are normal, when not all of the previous generations will be ready or able to adapt based on the traumas they have faced throughout their lifetime, creating a conflict of perspective traumatic relationships or nurturing in an inherited traumatic behavior. Another reason not to blame the past for these transgenerational interactions is that many of the traumas stem out of perceived positives in relation to the moment it initialized. Take slavery, for example. At the time the very first person was enslaved, it was an act of hum humanity, believe it or not, before which it was custom to obliterate an opponent. Eventually, it became the root of racism and billions of people's traumas. How far back do we have to trace the blame for something that started as a new way of the compassionate heart? Another well-intended movement that has unintentional consequences most won't admit to yet is feminism. From the noble rights of women came a day where women are denied their nurturing rights in order to provide financially or advance at the same pace as those who chose to remain a lone wolf. Genders are swapping under false concept of life and power and control in, the, in another's shoes. <clears throat> a relatively new concept of giving a child the right to choose and express their own will or personality has already led to a generation that lacks values and that have until now been considered a thing of respect. We still must guide them in understanding. We just don't need to control their choices while openly communicating reasons for or against certain behaviors at a given time. Another concept that has showed both its faces, pro and con, is the idea of accepting everything, sorry, everyone within the concept, context of gender at the same time as chastising past behaviors, also under the context of gender. 70% of all households openly claim to operate under some sort of context of generational trauma, which is a lot of people pointing the finger at their elders for the pain and suffering. It makes me wonder how many are asking other questions that get to the root of the initial pain or guide them in understanding all parts that fill the gap between them. It's time we all have a chance to heal. So we interact with the next generation in a way that guides them how to survive living with joys, riding life's wave through the good and bad, dodging the system's punches instead of taking one for the team and repressing it till they become festering with hateful pain. There is a wonderful group to investigate that talks about this you can find at the www.humancondition.com website. But until this vision comes to fruition, I have been proposing and petitioning that psychotherapy be considered like a family doctor just for the mind's health instead of physical. You can find our petition on the Facebook page, Light for Change. 
How one could potentially heal from the impacts of generational trauma is still being considered, but I would presume that we can apply a version of the common 10-stage process. It starts with acknowledgement that your brain is telling you something is wrong and needs to be healed. Everyone will have a different version of what their brain says and how it speaks through physical and emotional symptoms. The learning of all the different sides that rippled out of each moment of trauma, from taking stock of your own good and bad behaviors, as perceived by you, to have resulted from that moment, and moving 360 degrees to the resulting you that learnt and grew through each moment. This will result in your ability to own who you are, inclusive of the good, bad, and the ugly experiences you have gone through. The next phases of healing will be the path you choose to take in rediscovering your joy, potential, and drive to live purposefully. This path is designed by you, making it an intensely personal journey, but the commonality to others is in the pillars along the path being breaking and forming habits, finding small joys, interacting with community, and finally, purposeful intention. The fifth stage to healing is your dedication and commitment to following the healing path you designed for yourself. Many of us struggle in this stage, and that is okay. It's part of the rhythm experienced by living. When we fall, it's not time to quit, but reflect. Perhaps adjust the path you designed for yourself to reflect a path where each pillar of healing goes through the pillars or concentrate on one habit at a time using the 2190 rule of thumb as an incentive to count yourself down out of an old habit and up into a new positive one. There is no time limit on healing and no rush to move towards the next pillar. My communications with those who have confided in me about their healing process has revealed that the majority of those actively trying to heal find they get held up in passing through the pillar or finding small joys because most have gone so long surviving they have forgotten what brings happiness and need to try many new things in order to discover joy again. Trying new things can be daunting and bring up traumas and fears of societal judgment and personal criticisms. So I suggest starting small and finding joy first in your comfort zone, like maybe a favorite spot or comfort item, like, and then let it grow to be inclusive of all within. Then find the joys outside of your comfort zone, like a rainbow after it rains, and let it grow to include even the rainy days. And keep expanding the circle of comfort till you find yourself joyful for being alive that day and the day after that. When you're ready to jump into trying to find joy in things that make you feel uncomfortable at first. Once you have gotten that far, you just have to keep reminding yourself to take the first step for each new thing until one day you start to find the act of experiencing new things is the joy of living. I think the third pillar along the path to healing is probably considered the most daunting and is often used as a determining factor when diagnosing the severity of mental health afflictions. It's hard enough to face yourself while healing, 
allowing others to see your vulnerability seems unfathomable at first. Like the last two parts of the path, it is best to take baby steps. Some have told me they found choosing a random stranger they probably will never see again a soothing release. Others say they found it best to join a group of like-minded peers. Well, a good amount found they had to start by opening up to a particular loved one. In time, the more people you allow into your bubble, the more you will realize that people like you for you and enjoy watching you grow as you experience new joys that bring you closer to the you that loves yourself and the world around you. Each baby step you will take getting to this point will likely require you to go through the entire 10-stage process before inching a toe forward, which means there will be times you find yourself at a point you've already crossed. This is not a step back, but a reminder that you've got this and are starting to see the pattern to your growth. You got through a similar hurdle the last step you took. You can do it again for this step and the next step. Soon, this hurdle will feel like second nature, despite its many faces and polarities. The last pillar, purposeful intention, is the start of the sixth stage of healing. Stage six is when you're going to make use of all the skills you gained, following your path through the pillars of healing, so you can affirm and share your healing journey. Having reached the pinnacle of introspective healing pyramid, you can now look down at the book of your life and read it like it was the best book ever written, full of emotion, suspense, plot plot twists, and all the fixings of a bestseller. The best part is that even though you can't read ahead, you know how it finishes and that it's going to be good, a good way until then. Now you can reflect the joy you get from knowing you grew from every experience like a diamond out of a whole spectrum of others who will find encouragement that gives personal strength in knowing it is possible to be happy and more importantly, it is possible to heal if you want to. Sharing your journey lets others know they aren't alone and aren't the only ones who fell a few times while trying to walk their path. They are not the only ones to be scarred and take and to be scared to take the next step. The biggest benefit you give others is knowing it's okay to be fallible, to have emotion, and to just need a minute to breathe, taking stock of yourself, because surviving life by society standards is a burden to every individual. So we are all understanding, needing to say, hold on, I just need some me time. When you share of yourself, it is inevitable inevitable that you will encounter those who haven't considered if they need to heal. Others who can't fathom a life outside of surviving the rat race. And some may even think you have no right to be happy in a miserable world. But trust that your encounter with them will spark them to think about how their book reads for even just a second and maybe even secretly inspire them to want to be happy, which is stage one's first baby step. You will know when you reach seven of healing, for it's a feeling of peace that requires no effort. It's knowing that you are okay, 
that things will be okay, and that you can just be in the moment. Relish being in this heavenly nirvanic mindset as long as possible, for in time you'll reach the eighth stage, where you see the world through the eyes of compassion, having once seen the world through eyes of pain, which is a whole new kind of pain to know that others live through their pain, that others must live through their pain to grow. And all you can do is hold out a hand that says, you're not alone, I will help you to your feet. This is the stage where you realize that life has a rhythm that guides us to experience things from every perspective, where peace cannot be given as it has to be discovered from within by learning to have compassion for the pain experienced in the world. For some, reaching this stage will knock them back to the second pillar of stage four, but if you keep living by the statement of, I choose to live a life that is joyous of all my experiences, you will choose to move to stage nine, which is the act of holding out your hand and just being there for the ones who feel hurt and alone, forgotten and afraid, despite how being in some situations with them feels like you're reliving your own your own old traumas. Because you know you would have wanted someone to hold out their hand for you back then. Stage 10 is rarely one you realize you have reached, nor will other, others realize you are trying to reach. It is when you obtain the ability to be joyously compassionate for life itself, where the blessings of being able to experience life is so heartfelt its purpose is joyful love to such a degree it radiates from your soul, touching others like a magic kiss, lifting spirits just in passing, soothing minds with simple wisdom uttered on each breath. My sister-in-law would say she was far from that, but have been in her, I have been in her presence and felt the impact of its loss in the world. I know in my heart she made it a place where her soul brought peace to all she encountered. You don't need to be a holy devout to get to stage 10, but there is an undeniable amount of intrapersonal work and processing levels of understanding. The only thing you need to remind yourself is to take the step and to choose to have happy lens on your perspective, even when life hits you in the face with a big old ugly ball of depressing experience. No one will ever say it's easy to see the lesson or how you'll grow well in the moment, even through eyes that choose happiness. But trust there is a lesson and you will grow. You weren't always the you that you are now. From the day you were born, you've been learning and growing, each year becoming someone a little different than you were beforehand. Year by year, forming who you are today someone very different than the newborn baby you once were. Keep seeking the small joys. Keep breaking the habits that lead to pain and forming ones that bring moments of joy and keep walking your unique path with dedication to healing. How generations were taught to cope and survive based on the hardships of the past is the underlining factor to transgenerational trauma as I stated near the beginning of this episode. And with each new generation's traumas came a new commonly accepted way of doing things adapted to suit the new way of life, but based on the old. 
Before the world wars, in a day we were less advanced and civilized, we were more civil. Society at the time might not have had many literate persons, but their creative creativity in passing along important messages is unmatched in my opinion. The people created memorable and fun chants they sang to their babies, recited in schools, hummed to themselves at work, and made part of daily life about how to survive the world they were living in at the time. The messages that made perfect sense to them at the time they were in became a rule of thumb, but are now obscure and have become delightful nursery rhymes for us. Funny, really, as most of them are warning on how to keep yourself from dying in the harshness of those days. Ring Around the Roses is about the plague. Baba Black Sheep is about the harsh tax imposed by the 13th century King Edward I. Pop Goes the Weasel is a warning to the lower class not to squander the earnings they had worked so hard for, or they would keep running the same circle. Georgie Porgy is a warning about how abusing your power and behaving in a way society disapproves of will cause the masses to go against you. Rain, rain, go away is about expressing your emotions. Three little kittens is about taking care of your things. Miss Muffet is about facing your fears. The old lady that lived in the shoe is about obeying the rule of law. Hey diddle diddle is a warning that unsavory folks frequent bars and though that life may seem fun, it will leave you poor. Little Boy Blue teaches us that actions have consequences. I'm a Little Teapot is about venting your anger. And Row, Row, Row Your Boat is a reminder that life should be calm and easy. After the World Wars came, the hardened souls who were raised to hide and repress Blending in was normal, as anything else could mean death. <clears throat> Money was scarce, so it was rude to think you deserved anything. They learned life won't do you any favors and made sure their children understood this by using tough love and treating them like slaves. Children were seen to be seen and not heard. Punishment was corporal, and many children were sent away to institutions. Racism of a whole new breed was instilled not based on the sense of a superiority, but based on a fear and anger from the previous actions in war. The crimes of the entrepreneurial and ruling populations had parents spewing words of hate for their perpetrators and their ancestors, all but a handful of generations that, were, that followed were guided to live in fear, generational prejudice, persecution, and position. We segregated ourselves from each other and stopped communicating, allowing each side to fill in their own blanks to the story, which would cause conflict when the sides would collide over a matter. Following that group came the hard-driven, who would stop at nothing to create a world of pleasure, far from the pain that, was hung, that has hung around for so long. They flipped the sayings the parents drilled into them and turned it into, The world owes you nothing. You must get it yourself. How bad do you want it? This brought in other sayings, like the nice guy finishes last, and no good deed goes unpunished. This generation was also tired of cowering in fear, so they started shouting and complaining. Their, rattle, 
radical behaviors and protests made some great changes in what was normal for society, but also created a devastating divide. They were so busy chasing their dreams and fighting the established system, most children were left to figure out the world on their own. The conflicting perspectives on historical events moved from periodic conflict to cultural hate, causing even more cultural injustice under the guise of racist bias. There were no laws about who should be included, just that people could not be intentionally unincluded or targeted, lending to favoritism in every sector of life. From that generation, the complacent grinders were born. Having felt the dark hug of abandonment that made dreaming seem selfish, and noticing that yelling was bringing as much pain as it was change, they settled into the middle ground, showing their children it was best to play it safe, work hard, and save for retirement. They taught their children to do just enough to earn their just deserves and to fit in with their like kind because you're sure to be accepted. It was normal to show your identity but hide your personality, which led to a very utilitarian time. Culturally, things were improving, though feelings were still divided and tensions were growing again. But as most of the infractions were mild, fitting into loopholes that didn't account for bigots and prejudices, it became normal for people to apply the live and let live mindset. However, this allowed for a lot of behavior to get swept under the rug on every side and the disconnect allowed generational anger to fester. They lived with sayings like keep your head in the books, get a good job, find a good partner, and settle down, always keeping the value of three months cost of living in the bank and save a nest egg for rainy days in retirement. That created the help me I'm broken generation who were taught to keep their problems to themselves, so instead they escaped and they numbed with the consumables, materials, and lavish experiences. Addictive behaviors ran rampant and sought out relations for comfort instead of love, many that ended up broken with baggage, both precious and damaged, that had to be carried for the rest of their life. Due to the normality of repressing one's desires in the times which they were raised, many behaved in secret, often in unsavory ways. The festering generational anger caused those new young adults to rebel with cultural and lifestyle mingling, reversed roles, and appropriation with many people converting or adapting ways of life to those who their parents hated. This caused irreparable crumbling of the family unit, a dissolving of the role identity, and overall confusion of what was right, wrong, and fact. Self-hate whispered in the minds of everyone as we began to compare ourselves to others who presented their lives as having greener lawns, causing so many to lose track of their purpose path, wandering lost, just trying to be themselves, doing their part to keep the life machine we're all hooked up to running. The Me Too mindset resulted because of this disrupted mindset of the last generation, creating a demi-generation that sought out acceptance and peers with common hardships. For them, it still wasn't normal to fully express yourself and your desires, but it was normal to share your vulnerabilities. Unfortunately, not everyone had 
a Me Too group to fit into, but wanted to be accepted, so they joined a different group, slowly defeating the power of the newly created support groups and appreciation across designations. A hate war boiled to the surface, with avenging sympathizers leading the charge using blame as their weapon. Everyone from every culture, lifestyle, gender, political stance, and class started yelling and pointing fingers, so no one, recognizing our adaptive, complacent nature that led us where we are today. A scared and traumatized, traumatizing history all around, with everyone being a perpetrator and a victim at some point. No one was good and no one could be trusted. A generation geared towards aimless freedom was born out of that double perspective upbringing, so that by the time they were adults, there was a sense of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, and many adopted the mindset of if I'm going to get screwed either way, I might as well enjoy it. They stopped saving money for the future, stopped investing in things like vehicles and property, started traveling and buying more, They lived 24 hours a day, and they thrived on social presence, particularly online. Historical story time is the new normal now, and finding people, and finally people are talking, communicating how each thing impacted both sides of every event, but it is bringing a lot of emotions to the surface that people don't know how to handle. So some moments that will one day be history are rather spectacular displays of emotion, good and bad. There are so many words flying out of our newly freed inner voices that the real world has no idea how to react and are scrambling for ways to understand and get a handle on things, some leaning to a stricter, more controlled mindset, while others seeking a modern version of the original mindsets of the first peoples, having learned the value of what we ignored in fear for so long. The boom of communication has opened the door for a new generation, still children now, to consider emotions as as important and recognize how advanced we have become, allowing all the coping methods of the past to seem futile. Some are developing some amazing perspectives of hope under the guise of a new kind of mindful parent, while others are struggling to make sense of the contrasting worlds. The one one created by their parents for them in protection, and the other a wounded and crying darkness that history created for them. <coughs> On both sides, there are too many giving up, too many being are drowning in the emotional sea, and only a few are throwing out life rafts and providing healing care that gives us the understanding we need. To be clear, Not every person from their decades generation compared to the above outlined characteristics as what is outlined and the observed stereotype, but they do show how each generation adapted behavioral tendencies as a result of being exposed during rearing to the unhealthy coping behaviors put in place by a previous generation based on what they had experienced and comparing it to by relevance to the lives and traumas they are exposed to in their youths. Knowing this, as you ask yourself, are you going to teach the generation that follows you to cope with life's blows as humanity? How are you going to teach them to cope with life's blows as humanity learns from each downfall and success? 
Think about how our children are going to teach their children to cope with life and what our grandkids' normal will look like. I am hoping it is mindful care for self and compassion for others. We can break this cycle, though. It takes people like you who want to know how they can shine light on a better way. You have the power to show people how to understand that every generation has a different perspective, and that is okay because it means we've grown and adapted from the naive beings we once were. You can show people by your actions how to appreciate having different perspectives and being able to depend on each other for their unique strengths and understandings so we can all grow together, supporting each other over a safety net made of hands held together. You can make a difference by taking a moment to see the whole person instead of just how they fit into your perspective of what life should be like. And, (coughs) sorry, you can appreciate that it takes all types to make the world go around. You have the magic within you to help someone else heal from the generational trauma that played part in the formation of their character. (coughs) By guiding them to see the grass is greener where they stand because it is perfect for them so they can move forward and find joys in their lives. As I leave you to think on this topic, I challenge you to think about this mindfulness exercise until then as well. I think about think about what the relationship is you have with the generations in your life, <clears throat> and if you recognize the life they lived. Write down some questions that you have, and then set them aside for the right moment to ask them, and expand your understanding of why they think, act, and express the way they do. I will close the conversation by drawing another card from the Positive Attitude Zone, Paz Cards for short. This question will be the opening question for next episode. The card drawn is blue for values and self-esteem. The question is, what are you good at? We will get to that next week. But in the meantime, you can get your past cards, Positive Attitude Zone, at www.graduatethrivers.com. That's spelled capital G, small r-a-d, capital U, small i-t, capital T, small h-r-i-v-e-r-s.com. Stay wonderful, wholesome, happy, open-minded, and natural. And smile as much as you can. Take care until we talk again. This has been Heidi Hardy on a Mind Matters Matters podcast created by A Light for Change.